Why go to church? We have all heard this question and heard the complaints. Church is just a place where they judge you, where everyone is looking sideways at what you're wearing or how you're singing or how often you've shown up. A church is just a place full of noisy hypocrites. Our lives are already busy enough. Who has time for that? Perhaps you've heard these complaints. Perhaps you have said them yourself at times. And yes, the church can sometimes feel like it is full of noise and hypocrites, but so, do, so does so much of our life and our world. Sometimes it can feel like someone is shouting at us all the time. Articles online or in the magazine rack scream, read this now, it will change your life. Cable news and radio trumpet the loudest opinions and insults, and we all know people who call themselves Christians but instead just promise easy answers and judgmental labels. Perhaps this reality helps us understand a little bit more why people, particularly young adults under the age of 35, are opting out of church and other institutions in increasing numbers. After all, if you see church as just another place of noisy, condemning, judging, hypocritical voices, why would anyone want to join? Tony Campolo is the preacher and professor who inspired this sermon series we are in, Following Jesus Without Embarrassing God. Tony Campolo has worked with young people for decades at Eastern University outside of Philadelphia. And he has a very interesting response when a young person says, I can't be part of a church because the church is full of hypocrites. Campolo responds, well, yes, but that's why you're going to feel right at home with us. <laughs> Community building is hard. Relationships are hard. Rather than go to church and have to interact with people we don't know or might not even like, we would often rather opt out opt out of the small talk and the potential disagreements, opt out of risking exposing our own hypocrisies or encountering others. Instead, we often choose to sail on a sea of shiny social media posts or just get together with friends that we already know we like. Recently, I read a book about our changing understanding of community and neighbors, it was a book called The Vanishing Neighbor by Mark Dunkelman, a very insightful and clear-eyed look at the fabric of American society from the beginning and particularly in the last couple decades. He describes three rings of relationships in our life and society. First, we all have an inner ring, an inner circle, a group of intimate friends and loved ones, people we want to keep close to us throughout our life. We also all have an outer ring, our acquaintances, people we might only have one or two things in common with, but people with whom we can engage pretty easily around something like knitting circle or a sports team or our work. These are the people we can drop into a conversation with, rant about our quarterback's stupid play, and then disengage and go back to everyday life. No muss, no fuss. However, Dunkelman also describes in detail another ring, a middle ring. This is a ring of relationships that aren't about our closest friends or our acquaintances. This middle ring is filled with the people we need to interact with in order to get through a day. It is people with whom we are familiar but not intimate, 
friendly but not particularly close. It is the people that we run into throughout our interactions in our daily life. It used to be these are the people we would see if we rode the bus to work or stopped at the same lunch counter, the people who filled up civic organizations like Kiwanis Club or neighborhood groups. These are the people who work at our local grocery store or we see at the local playground. The middle ring is full of relationships with people that you have to run into in your daily life. Dunkelman's book explores how this middle ring is the most endangered in our current world. With the dawn of the affordable car and internet, more and more, we don't have to run into people we don't like or don't know. Our lives have become more efficient, but this also means we are slowly losing the ability to make connections with people that we don't know particularly well. It's interesting that Dunkelman does not say we are getting more isolated. We actually are very good at keeping up with our inner ring with our close friends. This ring is as strong as ever. Most of our energy goes into maintaining those connections across years and miles. He uses the example of our cell phone, which enables us to connect with anyone anywhere in the world, and we often use it to connect to our three to five closest associates. This is a good thing, to have a strong ring of intimate friends. And Dunkelman also points out that through the internet and a globalized world, our outer ring is more vibrant than ever. With the click of a button, we can easily find someone who likes to get excited about nerdy things, that we, the same nerdy things that we do. These days, we can interact with anyone and find out what they're doing, what they're thinking, whether they live in Guatemala City or Tehran or Beijing. However, here is the key. Both our inner ring and our outer ring of relationships are made up of people that we choose to pay attention to. These are people that we choose to follow on Twitter or call on our cell phone. We can connect with almost anyone in the world, but it's all about the people we want to follow. What is happening is that increasingly, we don't have to listen or sit with or run into anyone we don't want to see. More and more, we can avoid annoying inefficiencies like long lines while shopping or trying to get in touch with someone. Just think how much of the day used to be sent, spent trying to gather enough food to eat or trying to get in touch with someone. We have created so many technologies that cut through all the waiting and negotiating and maneuvering. And again, this isn't all bad. However, Dunkelman does describe that we do lose something when we aren't forced to slow down and be in situations that annoy us or make us uncomfortable. He gives the example that we live in a day when a Superman fan can just get online and immediately find other Superman fans. He doesn't have to get to know the Batman fan who lives down the street. And online, a very liberal member of the Democrat Party can sell a treasured baseball card to a very conservative member of the Republican Party, and they don't ever have to interact with each other. In a generation, a definition of a good neighbor has shifted from someone who used to check up on you, someone who, who you can run over to and visit for a cup of coffee or sugar. And being a good neighbor now often signifies someone who keeps to themselves, someone who leaves you alone, someone you don't get bothered by through your walls or floorboards. 
The sense of warmth once suggested by the term has been replaced by a kind of detachment, Dunkelman points out. In the way we set up our society, if you have enough money and resources, you don't have to see anyone you don't like. You don't have to talk to someone you think of as a noisy hypocrite. And yet this ripple effect over time creates problems. Dunkelman writes, those on the other side of any given issue today now are not only wrong, they are almost alien to us. We can't say anymore, well, that's a crazy position to take, but I understand why Frank thinks that. We can't say this because we don't know Frank, and we don't know what Frank thinks. Without the first-hand exposure gained from passing conversa conversations, it is much easier to demonize the other side. And our politics reflects this trend. Community building is hard. Relationships are hard. In a world where it is easier and easier to avoid people we don't like, the church is still unusual. The church is still a place where things are not always as efficient or streamlined or easy to swallow as we would like. Church still remains a place where you have to talk to someone you don't know and try to figure out what you have in common and attempt to make some changes happen in the community no matter how long it takes. A church that is following Jesus doesn't get rid of someone simply because they don't fit our definition of likable. A church that is following Jesus is the place that reminds us that annoying person over there, that person is still precious and loved in God's sight. A church that is following Jesus is the place that keeps shining a light onto shadows in our society, places that we'd rather avoid, like racism or homelessness or abuse. We aren't always good at community building, at relationships, at loving our neighbor. We aren't good at following Jesus in this world of noisy hypocrites without embarrassing God. But here is some good news of the Bible. We have never been good at this, and God still wants to use us anyway. We have never been good at staying in loving relationships with our neighbors or ourselves. We have never been good at continuing to follow Jesus in this world. We all slip. We all have a time when our actions don't line up with what we are saying. And when we read the scriptures, we can see this trend, this hypocrisy tracing all the way back through the disciples themselves, back through the ancient families of Genesis. We have never been good at staying in loving relationship with our neighbors and ourselves. And God knows this. And God still wants to use us anyway. Through Christ, God is still lifting us out of the mire of our hypocrisy and putting us to use, bringing something into the world of faith and hope and love. This is good news. In a few minutes, I'm going to read our scripture passage from 1 Corinthians 13. These are familiar words. Perhaps you have heard them many times before, particularly at a wedding, usually directed at two starry-eyed people who have chosen to be together because they not only love, but they like each other as well. These words from the letter to Corinthians, though, were not written for a wedding. They were written for a church. 
They are written by an exhausted and frustrated pastor named Paul who is reaching out to his church in Corinth because the congregation is at war with each other. They are full of divisions and bickering about who is the proper follower of Christ and who is just an annoying impediment. They are pointing fingers about who is to blame, whether it's teachers or preachers or the woman who is always holding up the meeting with her rants. As you listen to this scripture passage, remember, Paul is not writing for a wedding. He is writing for a congregation. So let us listen to these words from the epistle of Paul to the first Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends, but as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith and hope and love abide these three, and the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, community building is hard. This church stuff is hard. Following Jesus means getting to know our neighbor, and that is tough work in a culture that runs on efficiency and productivity. After all, when we can just watch a church service online, why should we put on pants and have to small talk to someone in our pew? In a world when we can connect with friends with a few quick taps on our phone, why should we interact with someone with whom we disagree? When we can just give money online and get along with our day, why should we come downtown and serve people who don't talk or look or smell like us? Paul reminds us why. Because of love. Because when we step out of our comfort zone, love can show up. When we start to follow Jesus and look around at the other disciples on the path, we are going to be surprised about who is joining us. We are going to be made pretty uncomfortable about who we are being asked to love. And guaranteed, we are going to be shocked by the love that Christ is showing to all of these annoying, noisy hypocrites. I'm sure you can think of a few utterly inefficient, unproductive moments of your week, moments when you felt like everything around you was conspiring against you and your to-do list. 
Perhaps during the snowstorm, you had to take the city bus and you ended up talking to the disheveled man next to you. And perhaps you found out that he was a retired veteran who'd seen regions of the world you can only imagine. Or perhaps you were in a grocery line that was being slowed down by the woman juggling three kids, and so in order to get anywhere, you had to help out, offer a hand, hold her kid. But then, after that kid looked right at you and smiled so widely you could see the missing tooth, perhaps you left the grocery store feeling just a little bit less frazzled than when you arrived. Or perhaps you saw the article in the Richmond Times Dispatch over the past week about how feeding in downtown Richmond is about to dramatically change. We have offered lunch for 40 years, and for the last number of years, the Salvation Army has offered breakfast and dinner. This means, though, that, sorry, that what is happening, though, is the Salvation Army is no longer going to be offering breakfast and dinner at the end of the month, and this means that our homeless friends will not have any food apart from the lunch that we'll be offering. This is going to require some negotiation and communication and work between the downtown churches. It's going to require different people to sit in a room and work together on a conversation we didn't plan on having in order to feed our neighbors. These inefficient and unproductive moments are sometimes the moments when we can give the Holy Spirit a chance to show up. Sometimes these moments are the moments when we let Christ teach us about love and community and following him in this messy, noisy, busy world. Make no mistake, we in the church should not be content to remain a place of noisy hypocrites. We should be reaching for a hope that is bigger than our faults. We should be claiming a faith that is wider than our own insecurities. We should be reaching and hoping and claiming and proclaiming that the good news of God's love is going to transform the world. But yes, we can begin by admitting we too can be whiny, noisy hypocrites. We can begin by praying, Lord, you're going to need to love us here because we're having a hard time loving ourselves and loving our neighbors. We can begin by saying, Holy Spirit, you're going to need to show up and show us the bigger picture because we're having a hard time seeing it for ourselves. Yet we must remember that this world, this life, this confession of our own faults and failings, well, this is a great place to begin ministry. After all, this is the place where Jesus began ministry, with a group of crazy, messed-up people who look a lot like us. And so the next time we hear someone say with exasperation, the world is already full of noisy hypocrites, why should I join a church that is just the same? We can smile and say, ah, but here is the difference. Here in our church of noisy hypocrites, there's always room for one more. And if you wait a bit, you'll be amazed at what God is doing with a bunch of hopeful, loving hypocrites. Let us pray. God of grace, anoint us with your love. Teach us how to live with your Holy Spirit, guiding us, nurturing us, and preparing us to work together and walk together. In your holy name, amen.